0: You're listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace.
1: Well, it's like when we audit the mod with Mod Advisor and are able to give them the action items that they're going to use to lower their total cost of risk
0: tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects.
1: It's going to be a great year in 2022 at Florida Risk Partners. Now that IPFS is in the game with their total pay strategy, we can write excess and surplus lines and completely remove the agency bill from our agency. People, if you're not using total pay by IPFS, you're definitely leaving
0: money on the table. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level.
1: Having partners like Mineral only bolsters the fact that your clients do not care about the insurance. It's all of the value that you're able to add. And with partners like Mineral who can help with both HR and environmental health and safety, we can't help but win.
0: This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are literally doing a first today. I got my guy, Christian Delosier, on here with me, and we were actually going to talk about a few things, and I decided, you know what? I got to record Shop Talk for this week. So, Let's just record our conversation and make that shop talk. And I think it's actually something that a lot of people are thinking about right now, and uh, so we're gonna roll with it. So what's up, man? What's happening? <laughs> talk about walking into something you weren't expecting, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's you know we can have a conversation and not even realize we're recording. so sure. sort of the, to, to lay the the groundwork a little bit, you scheduled the meeting mm-hmm. just sort of give everybody the general idea of what you want what what you were reaching out for, and then we could dive into it.
2: Well, just looking long-term for the next, you know, five, 10 years, whether that's long-term or short-term for people, we may want to start looking more into mergers and acquisitions. And I'm kind of kicking around the ideas and the whole concept of multiple arbitrage and seeing what some of these larger carriers are doing and the multiple arbitrage piece. I know, are you familiar with that term?
1: Nothing like getting put on the spot on your own podcast. Okay. No, no, no. That's okay. Go with it. Either. So so honestly, no, not a hundred percent sure. I can probably take a wild guess, but I may also call it something different. So go ahead oh. and explain it. And I will give you the honest, transparent answer after I hear your definition.
2: It's every what we all already know. And that is the larger you are, the larger your multiple is worth mm-hmm. when you're thinking about long-term whatever whether you're going to perpetuate internally or you're going to set up a esop or you're going to transact at some point in the future a firm at three million in revenue is not worth the same multiple as a firm that's 30 million in revenue so if you can strategically align with other folks in your in the industry and that's something that i think that i don't know what your future plans are but i know you've made a comment just recently on one of your shop talks or the weekly podcast about looking to grow through acquisition.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, our firm has gotten to a size. We've got sixty two employees now. and um I've shared with you what our revenue numbers are, but I'll keep that private for this meeting and it's As, not you anything, should yeah, it's it's not we'll anything, just say uh,
1: that it's big enough that you'd get a nice multiple and leave it at that and that's
2: thank you. that's it's um come from a lot of hard work from a lot of people other than myself. We've got a lot, a really great team, something we pride ourselves on. We're constantly trying to build the bench and in doing so, we're also looking at, you know, how can we kind of take what we've got to the next level in the quickest period of time? Well, organic growth is great, but it's hard at times and it can take some time. So if you can go out and strategically align with one of your peers in the industry, Who's maybe close to you uh, geographically, close to you, and if you can figure out that hey, they're on the same management system, and you know what's one of the most valuable things in the industry right now, talent. So if I can go out and find their talent, and you know I've already got um, a network administrator who is currently managing 62 employees, but they could easily handle 100, and we have a CPA working in our accounting department who's handling 62 employees and could easily handle 100. So you're starting to talk about efficiencies whenever you can go out and, again, strategically align.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, so truthfully, have not heard it referred to as that before. That's exactly what I thought you were talking about. Um, and I, I look at this from two different angles. Number one, I, I agree. I actually was having a conversation with Matt Namoli a couple months ago, and we were talking about some things he's seen just in his role at the Hill group in terms of M and A activity and some of the things that agencies are doing and this exact conversation is what we what we had and, and what we were talking about wasn't necessarily the same situation that you're you're saying um, it was dealt more or or set up more along the lines of somebody selling to one of the larger private equity groups or whatever right and typically where those multiples start getting more and more serious from what I'm told, haven't even had the conversation with anybody, but you start getting three, 4 million in revenue in your agency, you are going to be taken a lot more seriously than if you have a million, million and a half in revenue. And so one of the things that was happening was there were, they would get three or four agencies that were probably all in that million to million and a half. And they would go together and they would go do the deal as an aggregated group and get a much higher multiple as a result of that. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to speak for him. He may or may not even hear this, but my friend, Eric Jolie out in California, I think this is exactly what he did when he, um, he exited or not exited necessarily because he's still involved in his agency, but they sold to a larger group and he, he, um, got involved with Gabe O and the crosses and Aurora Millette, and they all pushed their stuff together and then went out. So I can tell you, yeah, this is a hundred percent on my radar. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, you know, I also am wanting to be very active um, if I can be, but I want to make sure that I'm keeping the multiple as the buyer as low as I can. So I'm also looking for those really good opportunities for maybe that smaller agency or book of business that I can get at the lower multiple and just add it incrementally over time. I think that you're way further ahead than what we are. Um, That's not even an arguable point. Your agency's decades old, mine is eight years, turning eight Mm -hmm. this year. And we've never been through that process before. And you know, I'm happy to go toe to toe with anybody on the sales front. But if you were to ask me to absorb a book of business into my agency right now, I do think that would be a huge learning process for us. I wouldn't want to go and acquire an entire agency. I would want to go find a value deal on a book of business. And I think that there's other things that are getting introduced into the marketplace at this point. I am involved as an investor and a huge supporter of Cake. I don't know if you're familiar with Cake mm-hmm. or not, but it you know that's an online exchange. And I think that brings a completely different The viewpoint to all of this, and I don't even know really that it that everybody out there understands exactly what can happen when you have that online exchange. So a few things. Number one, I know that Cake has the ability to engage with aggregators, and aggregators can take all of the people that are looking to exit or sell in their company. So I know you know you're with Keystone, who's not necessarily an aggregator per se, but let's just say like a like an SIAA. And maybe those contracts, and again, those are all chopped up all over the country. Maybe those contracts require first right of refusal for a member of that aggregator before you can go to the open market and sell it. Well, if you have an online exchange where people can go in and bid and interact or whatever inside the aggregator, that's an easy way for the aggregator to control the MA activity amongst their own agents and an easy way for agents to go look and see what's available or what might be coming up um, in the marketplace. So that's number one. Another thing that I've been looking at, and this also revolves around some of the stuff Adam's doing over at Cake, is think about this for a second. What happens if you have a book with a carrier and you're not quite at max profit sharing um, and you haven't hit the the highest level of commissions with them yet? You now have a place that you can go and maybe somebody's struggling with that carrier, but they want to sell off their book and it happens to be just enough That if you acquire just that carrier from that agency and that book of business, it pushes you into the next level and you make more money in profit sharing or you can qualify for a higher level of profit sharing and get some level of enhanced commissions. I think there's deals to be done out there that if you find the right fit, your acquisitions actually going to be funded by the increase in your profit sharing and your commissions over the first year. Because you're not taking you're not biting off more than you can choose. So I think we've not really had an organized way to go about this. I feel like we've had, you know, private equity and venture capital money come in and they know how to do deals and and they they do things their way. Then you have your subset of like the Keystone agency partners, AcraShores, assured partners that are not necessarily. They're probably blended private equity. I think all of them has some money behind them, but they're more familiar with the insurance industry because they came out of it. And so they may have a little bit different approach. Then you have the people out there that are going out as agency principals and they're shopping the marketplace, looking to make an acquisition. Bradley Flowers made one just last week that was a really nice one for him that expands his footprint further across the panhandle of Florida and then I think you have people that are just looking for, um, you know, just that extra little punch, like like I talked about. I can tell you specifically what I want is I want the most paper-ridden, lack-of-technology agency I can find because I know that I'm going to pay a much lower multiple for that, and I know that the lift that I'm going to get is going to be much higher. So. I think out of all of those things there's some really interesting approaches and concepts in there but I think the one that I find the most interesting is is the multiple arbitrage and working together with other agents to have a higher exit for all involved.
2: So then how do you position that conversation? You know, when you go well, in was... and that, that was part of what I was wanting to talk to you yeah. about is
1: so what's I think your the... strategy? So, so my strategy is nothing right now because I'm still not ready, but you know, we had Joe Clevenger on the podcast a couple years back, and it was a good one. If you didn't hear that one, I would go back and listen to it because he laid out his strategy for how he does this. But it boils down to when I go to a conference, I sit, at the, I sit with, uh, to eat my meals with the oldest people in the room. I want to go make friends with them. I want to have them, you know, begin to know who I am. I want them to trust me. And I want to become the first person they think of when it's time for them to make their exit. And I like really simple, really, you know, very easy to execute common sense. And yet not very many people probably do that or would do that. I think that you're in a unique position too, though, being involved with Keystone. I have to believe there are resources or ways... And maybe not even just resources or or uh, methods you can use inside of Keystone, but just the relationships you have. I can tell you, man. I've I've talked to the SIAAs of the world. You know, Keystone. I had an equity position in Indium before we exited. You guys have a really unique culture inside Keystone. You have a very unique culture, and I I, I yeah. like it because. A lot of the agencies, when I go to emerging leaders and I hang out with everybody, everybody gets along. Yeah, you guys might compete against each other, but you don't really because you got to non-compete with Keystone. So I think just having that off the table alone makes it easier to have the conversation. And I feel like you guys are more family than anything else. And, it, and that might be an easier, easier place to do it.
2: By design, right. my friend, that is by design. It's like one of the very first, there's a stringent interview process to get into Keystone and they protect that culture. This isn't a necessarily an advertisement for Keystone. If somebody wants an advertisement, they can call me and I'd be happy to tell them about our experience. We we get to benefit from some of those things you are talking about earlier. You know, we don't have enough volume. Um, you know, we, we pool the volume within the states and it can kind of get us to that contingency level. Or if maybe we have a claim that snuck up on us that would have kicked us out of contingency. Well, the group together performed well. So that piece has been very beneficial for us. But that's also part of going out and trying to find some of these smaller firms that we can afford. You talked about the paper written one. Oh boy, we've done that before. that is a <laughs> well,
0: there's a there's a, a caveat
1: there's a caveat to that though, right? And I think that there are people out there. I'm not going to name names um because I don't know that they would want me to. but there there are people out there who have figured this part out too and that is maybe you have it all figured out maybe you have the systems maybe you have the staff maybe you have the service and and you've got sales but this other agency has that and they also have a lot of relationships that they probably could write but they just don't have the infrastructure to do it you know so maybe they stay in personal lines and small commercial and they don't want to go after the middle market relationships that they could go after because They don't feel like they have the resources or, quite honestly, in some cases, the cash flow to deliver on a value proposition to an account that size. You do, and you could easily go in and you could help them write accounts they would never write without you. I think that the interesting piece, though, is that I see these people who have it figured out and they have the systems and they have the processes and instead of going in and acquiring the agency, they acquire a minority stake in the agency, right? So maybe they only go in and they pull 20% out. And here's what you're going to get for that 20%. But it also keeps... There, there's a not a CPA people, not a financial planner. Let me go ahead and throw that out there. But 20 percent's the magic number. It has something to do with you having to put up personal guarantees for funding or anything else. And so they keep it at 20% or below for that reason. But I have friends that have 20% of like 50 agencies across the country and they go in and they work mm-hmm. with those agencies on a regular basis. And, you know, maybe one day that agency exits, maybe one day they roll it into the the mothership. I don't know, but I think that's an interesting, that's another interesting thought process because essentially what you're doing is, You're giving somebody the opportunity to scale at a much faster rate by using and leveraging the technology you've invested in. And they don't have to come out of pocket any money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at that that point, the equity, even though equity is always going to be the most expensive thing you can give up, it's still not worth what it could be worth. And they're never going to get there without you. And I think that the other thing is too, if you position yourself right and you do something like that with the right agencies... You are the succession plan at that point, so maybe you're already in the position. Mm-hmm. You've got the twenty percent ownership stake. Don't know that that would be overly attractive to anybody else to have you or me in the mix. So maybe they just give you first right of refusal, or you build that in when you take your equity stake, so that you can ultimately be the person who who uh, picks it up when they're ready to exit.
2: That's part of the plan, is that we come in and I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't put Stephanie on a man. Oh, I know. She, she's What's been Stephanie a blessing. On? I, I want to <laughs> just make a little comment here. And if you're a firm, I would I would say of 30, for sure 50 or more employees, if you don't have an operations person, but you're a, a David or a, I'm not in your category, but I listen to things that you come up with and think, oh, that's a great idea. And I want to implement that here. But we couldn't ever do it before her. And now she's on board and she, like
1: her lists have lists and they don't ever go away. I mean, (laughs) she is, she is organized. You're basically describing Abby in our office, who was our intern two, two summers ago. And now she's our risk management practices leader. And she is that for that reason. It's one thing for me to get on the podcast and talk about, we do this, we do this, we do this. Guess who has to make sure that gets done? up until Abby it was me mm-hmm. and i would have to go execute all of that the amount of freedom that i have to be able to brainstorm and come up with new uh, new ideas and tighten up the places that were weak because i can say no abby this is yours go you you do this is amazing so mm-hmm. while she's not the full blown ops person it's never really been a secret that my number 1 candidate for a COO is Andrea Carruthers, so like mm-hmm. she's in a similar role where she's at now, and I, I would love to bring her in at some point to just let her be the one to say, okay, I'm going to handle all the processes and everything, and then I'm off the hook, I can go out and play with the producers and sell and do what I like and not have to wear multiple hats, but I can't even stress enough how important that person is, mm-hmm. and I mean... I'm really kind of surprised that we don't see, like we see fractional CFOs all over the place. How many fractional COOs do we see? Like that might be a really good opportunity for somebody to start a business in our space as a fractional COO. Is that what Carrie does a little bit of that? I would, I think she's still more on the financial side. She's not going to come in and review. I mean, maybe Mick Hunt with Premier Uh Strategy Box. Mick Mm -hmm. might get, you know, I, I don't know enough about what he does on the back end, but you know he might be somebody that that would compete with a fractional COO. But I, I think that ops person is so important, man, because mm-hmm. if you think about it, these agencies aren't built on operations people. They're built on salespeople. They're built on the people that can shake the hands, kiss the babies, and do what they need to do in the community. And people know, like, and trust them. So they buy from them. But then you go in and you look at the back end of the operation. And it's like, holy cow, it's like this guy's got no idea what he's doing. Well, yeah, you're right. He's never run anything before, but he could sell ketchup popsicles to an Eskimo in white gloves. So he continues to put revenue on the books.
2: I want to tell you, I was talking to Scott Howell just the other day. He was asking me some questions and I fired back with, with the things that we've been able to accomplish with an ops person. And that is, and I, I know we're behind, but we... We grew, we still were operating like we were a 10-person shop, but we had 62 employees. I mean, we're a very typical
1: You want uh, your culture to feel that way, though. You want your culture to feel like you're the 10-person shop, but your processes can't look that way.
2: It's very difficult. So we've been putting lots of things in place. The culture is changing for the good, Um, but- you know, we just we grew slowly over fifty some years, and we just found out that we couldn't operate that way anymore. But in the last, I'd say twelve to eighteen months, we've implemented. We just launched Salesforce and gave all of our producers LTE tablets, which I think is going to be tremendous because now we can track, forecast, all that great stuff. We built a. Um, Intranet. That's probably one of the smaller things that we did, but still very, very important. Ridiculously
1: important, man. Yeah,
2: very important. We didn't have that. Um, What else? Oh, we went through epic optimization. We've built several departments and we're starting to put SMEs, subject matter experts. That's a Stephanie thing. So we've done a lot in 12 months and that's because of her. Now, if anybody on this podcast tries to poach her, I'm going to have to hunt him down. It's my nah. sister. So, so she's not poachable, you yeah, know, and she's uh, 0% chance ex, she's going yes, anywhere. 0% if
1: she's an equity player, but back to the reason that I was, but let, let me stop calling, you for calling. one second, man. Okay. Here, here's the thing that I heard and what you just said, and I can, I can boil it down into just one simple bullet point. You've made investments mm-hmm. like this stuff. Didn't happen just because Stephanie was there. Obviously, she's driving the bus and I take nothing away from her. She's an absolute rock star. And I know how proud you are of her as your sister Mm -hmm. and a partner in the business. But there also had to be a willingness to put money behind the process, not just bring Stephanie in and have her created. And I think that's where the disconnect is for a lot of agencies out there. They just don't want to put the money in because they're cheap you know, so many times I talk to people and they're saying, well, I'm looking at doing this or this. And the first question is, well, how much is it going to cost? No, that should never be your first question. Your first question should be, how much is this going to make me? Because if you're looking at it as something that's going to take your business to the next level, what it costs you today, really, even though it might sting a little bit, should be relatively irrelevant in the grand scheme of things if you're going to get a return. Now, if you can't see a clear path to a return on spending that money, don't make the investment. But none of those things happened just because Stephanie walked in. It's because you and, and the other leadership in the agency, along with her, agreed that, hey, we we know we have an issue here. We're not a 10-person shop. This is going to cost us some money. Let's go ahead and make the investment. And I'm sure she made a list in order of what you guys were going to do. But, I mean, you've optimized your – like, what what else could you possibly do right now? And I think that's the cool part is when you start – Crossing so much off the list, you struggle to come up with the next thing that has to even go on the list to cross off. You're probably in a pretty good spot.
2: Continually building the bench, always be hiring. And I think I've heard you say that too. 100% always hire before you need somebody. Five, 10 years. And that's something Stephanie brings from corporate America. You know, we've got our people, they're pretty maxed out at the moment. And it's just because we've had a little bit of attrition. And, you know, it's hard to hire good quality people. But we want to get to a point where they're at 80% capacity, not 100% capacity, what each one of them is doing. So if something happens and you lose one, or you have a new program that you want to develop, you can allocate time and resources to that program and really take advantage of it rather than have this great opportunity, but everybody's maxed out and you can't do anything with it.
1: I think, you know, that. There's another phenomenon um, that's going on right now, and I don't know if this has affected y'all or not. I, th- I think your people are probably pretty loyal to you, just based generally on where you're at geographically, too. I mean, there's not it's it's not like Tampa; like you could walk out here and be in front of a hundred other agencies relatively quickly. But where you're at, it's it's not as densely populated. Um, but one of the things that that I I've seen and heur- heard a lot of grumbling about is a lot of the bigger shops out of New York and some of the other cities are now trying to go to the more rural areas of the country and Mm -hmm. allow people to come in and work remote. Mm -hmm. And they can pay those people more than what they're making now, but significantly less than what it would cost for that same person in New York City. And it ends up being a win-win in the local independent agency is who loses in that deal. To your point, it's why you gotta get them to 80% and focus on that culture, man. Because if all things are considered equal, people are gonna leave for money almost every time. But if there's any question whatsoever that they're leaving the environment that you have them in and they're getting ready to go to something that's distilled and starched and all just pure white, corporate America, you know. You, they're going to stay with you because they're they're comfortable there. But you know, COVID opened up the door for us to work remotely and that's a positive and a negative both for our industry.
2: You're absolutely right. I've heard that. The coasts are struggling for talent just like we are here in the Midwest. And they're coming in and they're able to hire these people at higher wages than what we pay in the Midwest. It's made and they're it's not just not...
1: hiring people off the street. They're hiring your best people.
2: Yeah, they're poaching. Oh, so I wanted to go back and say, talking about poaching, you were talking earlier about the investment then people get hung up on the cost of whatever it is that they feel like they want to implement. We had where I had the paradigm shift in my brain was we were looking at Keystone had a, what do they call it? Anyway, there was a recruiter that we had through Keystone and he was
1: $15,000 can you believe that $15,000? Oh my gosh. $15,000 to get a producer that might write a hundred thousand in their first year, like. Bingo,
2: bingo. So we (laughs) sat there and we were like, oh my gosh, $15,000. How how are we gonna be able to afford that? And then I was scratching my head and I was talking to my stepfather, who's the agency principal. And I'm like, how much would a good producer in Missouri write? Let's say, how much would an average producer write? 25,000 in revenue. So we're losing $10,000 every year, just the first year, really, by not hiring this recruiter and spending $15,000. I'm actually losing $10,000. Like that's when the paradigm shift happened in my brain. And I started thinking about investing in things so much differently. So when we're talking to our team about Salesforce, and it's going to be a challenge to implement. I mean, we've been working on freaking
1: napkins. I've got. I've got I've you're got preaching one. to the choir, I'm man. Got, I bet you, I still have a dozen legal pads completely full from just putting as much that needed to go into HubSpot down as possible. In the '90s,
2: we had a producer. He's still with us today. He's getting close to retirement. He brought in literally a block of wood from a job site, a two by four, with some with some notes scratched on it. That was what he brought in. We should have framed it. I'm sure it's like somewhere. Or like put lacquer
1: on it and made it a paperweight on your desk or something or in the conference room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when is that ever going to happen
2: again? And if somebody's got one better than that, I would encourage them to like leave a comment on this, wherever this post is going to be. Like if you've got something better than a block of wood that was (laughs) brought in with a submission. please. For those of you who
1: write strip clubs, please don't comment. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, I wanted to ask you, too, and I know this is going kind of long, and I apologize, but no, you and I good. both like to like to talk.
1: So when
2: we're going in to talk to these folks, it's not a, hey, I want to buy your agency, because be. that is like a huge turnoff.
1: That's what everybody so else is doing. It's, and I think to that point, you know, there's probably a lot of people that would entertain a conversation, but they just don't want to entertain it with the players that are mm-hmm. out there now. Because let's think about this, man, for a second. Mike didn't build this agency with the intent that he was going to turn around and sell it and turn it into something corporate. It's been a fixture in the community. Mm -hmm. If something were to happen to change the face of your agency, it would have an impact on the community that you're in. And so I feel like um, you know there's a subset of people out there that really want to get to the point where they find the Christian Delosier. They find... The the group that will come in and really just kinda of leave their agency as the community fixture that it has been while upgrading it where it makes sense.
2: Yes, I think you're right. And that's an attractive piece to these folks that their identity is their agency. Mm-hmm. It's their biggest asset for most of them. And when they've been doing this for 30 or 40 years or longer. It's their identity and it's really hard to just walk away. Plus they've got talented people that have helped them all along build this beautiful thing that they've got and we don't want to leave them high and dry. So I think there's a really good opportunity for folks like you and I, who can go into some of these smaller organizations where I'm, I don't think I'm struggling, but where I want to pick the brain of some folks like you is, you know, how are you going to position yourself? I mean, we've got Keystone, which is very attractive the resources that you mentioned earlier. And if I could maybe ease into some relationships by maybe we buy 51%, I know you said 20 earlier, that kind of scares me just a little bit, but maybe that's because I haven't seen it play out. But if we did you know, 51, 49, and they retain 49%, but whenever they want to take a second bite in five or 10 years, now that second bite for them is a lot different than it is the first time because now they're a part of a much larger organization. And I think
1: that's what could be really attractive. That second bite su- might be as big as the first if they grow it hundred percent. A hundred percent. Here's the other dynamic, man. And this is something that's honestly really sad about our industry. And, and I do feel bad to a certain degree for people who have gotten themselves into this position, but... um there's also a subset of people out there who have no perpetuation plan. They have nothing mm-hmm. in place at all. And part of it is because they've just so been so busy grinding all the years that they haven't taken the time to do it. And they wake up and they're like, holy crap, I'd like to retire, but I don't have any way to do it. I don't have anybody here. I have to sell to a third party at this point. That's one one version of it. The other version is they just never made it a priority. And I don't really feel sorry for those people that much at all. And then there's a third part where people... We're very controlling of the agency, and they're the agency principal, and I built this on my back. I'm the one who took the financial risk. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one, and they don't believe in giving equity to people. They don't agree in in partnership. They don't agree with the golden handcuff theory that if you've got that producer with the million-dollar book, you need to show them a path to some level of partnership, because if you don't, one of the big agencies will, and there's a 100% chance they're going to go for that. And so I've got friends. I've been on calls with my friends that are grown men in their 60s that are literally crying because they don't know what they're going to do. They finally saw the light. They want to retire. But when they look around at their staff, they don't have anybody there that's that person that's ready to step in. And I think that if those people are also really, really good. Target sounds like such a horrible word, but really good prospects. To go in and have the conversation and find out, you know, is this even a possibility? Because there are people that are very proud. They're very proud of the agency. And psychologically, they don't want to just sell it to get rid of it. They want to sell it and know that everything that in their mind they've built by themselves will be preserved. Even though change is going to have to happen, I don't know that you have to go in and materially change most agencies you would want to acquire, unless you're a fiend like me and you just want the worst thing in the world because you're sadistic and you want to you you know, punish everybody, right? But I feel like there's a lot of opportunity with some highly motivated people out there. And I know three or four off the top of my head that have $3 million plus revenue agencies right now that are in that boat. Yeah.
2: Everything you just said, all thoughts that are going through my head. When you sit down with that individual and you can talk to them about you know what are their plans? what are their goals? What would they like to do in five or ten years? Maybe they want to still be working? Maybe they don't. If they don't have the perpetuation and plan in place, and I'm not suggesting that's like the first
1: conversation
2: that we go into perpetuation or like oh, I, don't I, you, agency, I don't even think I don't even think
1: acquisition or or asking them their plans and stuff is the first conversation. I think you just make friends. I think you make friends, you build a relationship, and you let them come to the conclusion. This is the guy that I think can can make this happen. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. you can have conversations along the way, but I think that the type of of person of seller that I would want to deal with, and I think probably we think similarly here. I don't think that person. I think that person's motivated, but not in a hurry. If that makes sense. I think these people are like, I want to be out in the next three years but not necessarily the next three months. And so you have time to build the relationship. And I actually prefer it that way too. I'd rather date them for a while to make sure I have a really good understanding of what I'm going to get into before I commit to having a full-time relationship with them.
2: So then once you get to that point where let's say they do say, yeah, let's get some valuations done and let's put some terms on the table. Well, now we're talking about well, first of all, I've learned maybe from Carrie Wallace, and that was the Carrie I was referring to earlier. And if anybody mm-hmm. doesn't know who Carrie Wallace is, you need to know who she is. What is her company name? We've talked agency, to her, but I
1: can't. Agency CFO. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. no. That's Roe. Um, agency focus is Carrie. Yeah, sorry, Carrie. Didn't mean it. Agency focus is Carrie. Agency CFO's role Roe and Don and Kayla. Just had them on the podcast. Two different companies, two different approaches, two really kind of different things, honestly.
2: Yeah, so then you get the valuation, and I've learned from Kerry, we don't look at multiples of pure revenue. It's got to be a EBITDA because when you just look at revenue, you know it could not be a profitable agency. And you're I was going to say, big... you know who
1: wants to sell their agency for a multiple of revenue? The guy whose EBITDA sucks. That that's yeah, the issue. right. The person who's not looking at their expense line and maximizing profit you could actually make more money selling a lower revenue agency with better profitability than you would the larger revenue with with the less that's the value play though if you me, if you and i go in and we look at somebody's revenue and we're like okay let's dig deeper i'm going to look for all the places in there that i've already got the solution to the problem and the, you know a good percentage of what they're spending money on goes away immediately 100%
2: just like earlier when I was talking about the network administrator and the, the CPA that we've got, all those things, all those things that we've got that maybe don't necessarily have to double, or maybe we can cut them out if we brought somebody else on board.
1: But then- yeah, I can so tell maybe, you, like from my perspective, I can tell you exactly how much a new a new employee is going to cost me for their tech stack. And that starts for the MSP all the way down. We've got the monthly MSP fee. How much is a laptop going to cost? All of that. And I can assure you, it's not nearly as expensive as it would be to try and continue to use the same systems they've been using on a legacy basis.
2: So then funding we, or we we come in and determine it's a multiple of EBITDA and let's say it's a 500,000 EBITDA and that's going to bring five times because of the size of it. So we're looking at $2.5 million. How do we fund that? Well, do we want to come up with, and I don't know what the banks, this is all very, um, Empathy stages for me thinking through all this stuff, which is why I was reaching out to you.
1: But Yeah, so I, bank... I will tell you, I will give you a surface level answer, and then when we're done recording, I will give you a direct answer oh. on this
2: one. Okay. Yeah. So, are the banks going to require you know ten percent down, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and loan me the rest? You know, do they are? Is it a, an asset type loan or is it a cash flow loan? I'm assuming it's a cash flow loan. They're going to look at the cash flow of the business that we're trying to acquire, but then at that point. What are we going to do to secure that loan? And maybe life insurance is the easy button. If you're insurable, if you're in, you know, everything's good and you can afford the insurance policy, maybe that's the easy button. Um, but what what are your thoughts as far as how to purchase an agency like that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting, man, because this is like literally front of mind. So the fact that you reached out of the blue to have this conversation is kind of humorous. I've talked to several friends um, that have either uh, acquired a book of business or an agency. And I've talked to a couple that have sold. I think some of the advice that I would give up front is it's got to be a bank that understands insurance. It's got to be a Westfield bank, a, a Live Oak bank, somebody like that who understands our industry. Number one, I was actually extremely surprised when i um talked to a friend who who was one of the acquirers about how smooth the process was um not anywhere near the level of personal financial underwriting or even underwriting of your existing agency to get the deal done it was heavily focused on the agency that was being acquired And to your point, the cash flow and their ability to pay back the loan. So they were essentially underwriting it just to make sure it could pay for itself. And the deal was approved and done in in pretty quick time. And I'll tell you, the other person that I would talk to, if you haven't, is I would talk to Gurley about this because he just went through it. You know, when he and Andrew bought that agency from Wayland, they just went through this whole process. He can tell you exactly what he dealt with to get to get approved and And all of that. And I can tell you, his data was pristine. His financials were pristine. It was very easy, like, like let's face it, Josh's Josh is Josh, right? Like his stuff's going to be tight a hundred percent of the time. So it was very easy for the bank to come in and make judgment. It was very easy for Kerry to come in and do the valuation. And so, you know, I think that, It's probably a little scary for me to know how easy it is to do it at this point. I'm not saying it's a walk in the park. I'm just saying I felt like there would be a lot more attention paid to me personally and my personal balance sheet and the agency here. And the vibe I'm getting is if you work with one of these banks that specializes in agencies, the majority of the focus is on the existing operations of the agency you're going to acquire and what the lift is going to be and can you afford the note or not, just based on Mm -hmm. current operations.
2: I'm glad you said that. Keystone's got a bank they work with, that they came to one of our our quarterly meetings and gave a pitch about if you're looking to acquire. And I want to be clear that anybody that's potentially still listening, how long have we been on the phone
1: now? Uh, we haven't even been an hour
2: <laughs> yet. man. Everybody's, Everybody's gone to sleep. Everybody's asleep by now, I'm sure. I don't think but so. This has been good. I want to be clear that we are not in a transactional mode. We are in a growth mode. So, anybody that's potentially listening to this, I get the phone calls regularly, and if you're listening to this, you can just push me out another ten or fifteen years on your on on the on the dialing follow- up because it's it's not gonna happen like it's just not we're having fun, we're looking to grow.
1: What's the point? you know what I yeah, mean what's like the what point? what what's the point of of selling? there isn't one yeah like i could I could have sold three hundred times in the last three years if I wanted to, I don't want to i we nowhere like near done with now. what I started out to do.
2: I can't wait to see what
1: you've got next. <laughs> well, it's going to get just... crazy, man. With me not being on the road this year, it's going to get nuts. It's going to get nuts in a hurry. Like I'm doubling oh. down. I've, I've I've added quite a bit of tech just from a production quality standpoint in the agency. So that when, like, for example, I just uh, had took delivery of one of those Vibe white, uh, smart boards today. So now when we go to do a renewal presentation or whatever, or even just audit a current client or a prospect's experience mod, I can pull it up on that whiteboard, annotate it with the stylus and have a Zoom meeting in real time where they're seeing everything I'm doing on the whiteboard and explaining it and record it and then turn that into marketing content and everything else. That's just like one thing. But like it's such such a tweak, right? A- another one is in, in where we're at right now, is we're literally looking at every single thing that we do in the agency at a very granular level and figuring out do we have this automated at the optimal level is this have we done everything we can to make this process as efficiently as possible and if we have great move on to the next one but we want to make sure everything's built in hubspot that we that makes sense to build in hubspot because i want to get the analytics i'm not one of these people like i have to have reports to run the business like i could run the entire business off of reports only if i needed to but if i don't have that reporting i'm going to struggle drastically in putting that together so that's part of it another part of it is a, a is a dashboard um you know putting in a dashboard for reporting and some other things that aggregates everything into one place i don't know man and then i could wake up tomorrow morning and have a completely different idea and scrap everything else we we never know from one day to the next what it's going to be
2: that's what keeps it exciting, man.
1: If we were predictable, it wouldn't be nearly as exciting. 100%. 100%. Well, what'd we leave off the table, man? Is there anything else? I'm sure there's plenty
2: we could talk about, but maybe we'll save that for another day. Absolutely. I've enjoyed this thoroughly. And thank you for the information.
1: Dude, I appreciate you coming on and letting let me record our normally scheduled Zoom meeting <laughs> as a podcast because <laughs> I was able to kill two birds with one stone. So... Everybody else, it's been Christian Delozier. If you're a producer, you're not happy where you're at. You need to reach out to Christian. If you're somebody that's getting a little long in the tooth, want to look for a place that you can happily park your agency for the future, reach out to Christian. He told you he's not in transactional mode. He's in growth mode. These people are going to take care of your people. I promise you. And Look, he didn't come on here with any intention of me saying any of that or us even recording this conversation. It truthfully was a Zoom meeting for him to pick my brain. And I'm like, you know what? I think this will be a good conversation to share with the masses. But if you're in Missouri or anywhere in the Midwest where it makes sense and you're looking to make a move, I would highly recommend you reach out to him. There are very few people out there that I can give an unequivocal endorsement, but I've met everybody in his agency from the principal down, and I can tell you that if I lived in that area, that's the agency I would want to be a part of. So, Thank I you. hope that. Um, Hi, Thank you. I hope that you guys can get the level of growth that you're looking for, and it's not going to be anything that you have done that's going to keep that from happening because you guys are making all the right moves right now. We're trying really hard at it, that's for sure, and having a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in, and we'll catch you next Friday for the next edition of Shop Talk. See ya.